Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week it's time to head to the ranch. It's episode 392 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and you know if you're a fan. The Yellowstone is returning to Paramount Network on Sunday. That is November the 7th. So I just happen to have a couple of guests from the show on this week. We're going to talk to Kelsey Asbill about Monica and what's going on there. And also, oh, you want to talk about Jamie? That's right. Wes Bentley going to join me on the show this week as well. And yes, I will ask him that question that you want to know about what happened in the season three finale and heading in to season four even more guests on the show this week though i have anna kaja here to talk about walking dead world beyond and also lucy guest will join me this week to talk about hypnotic you heard my review of the movie last week we'll talk to her about being a part of that creepy story this week and so much more to look forward to going to give you my review of the star girl season two finale talk about the new apple tv plus series dr brain and so much more but first yeah you know you want to head to yellowstone let's talk about season four with kelsey asbill and wes bentley up next on the down and nerdy podcast my name is bo smith i'm the creator of wine on earth and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast After the way season three ended, you have to imagine it's going to start with a bang. Season four of Yellowstone comes back to Paramount Network on Sunday, this Sunday night, as a matter of fact. I got a chance to sit down with a couple members of the cast to try and kind of tease ahead what's to come, not just for the season four premiere, but for the season in general, starting with Monica herself, Kelsey Asbill. Let's hear from her. Kelsey, how are you today? Hi, James. Kelsey, after the way season three ended, give us a little tease, of course, no spoilers. How crazy are things going to be as we start out right away this season? No, I'm really bad with this no spoilers thing. I, I, I mean, it's it's crazy. <laughs> We pick up right where we left off, and uh, yeah, it it doesn't slow down for a minute. That's an understatement, what you just said. People find that out soon enough. So (laughs) Monica's first priority always been Tate as a dad. I totally get that, and she's always wanted to keep him safe. So given that, what you just said, I mean, does that kind of add fuel to the fears of that she's had about the Dutton family, and are we going to see that creep back up this season as well? Yeah, she's had it, man. She has had it. But I think it's also, I, I think seeing seeing Tate or rather seeing the Dutton and Tate come out and Tate was really kind of the last straw. And she was like, I got to get out of here for his sake. So, and, and I think that that actually does kind of um, move them forward to a new chapter that brings out things we haven't seen in either character. She gives <laughs> us that wry smile, which makes us know that something good is coming. Okay. So Monica and Casey, spoilers. Yeah, the, 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 I've got to zip it. Uh, Monica and Casey's relationship has always been a really complicated one, to say the least. Could these events, though, in a weird way, could these events actually help bring them closer together because they they felt, you know, facing the possibility of maybe losing each other? Or could it be the opposite, actually? I really, I, I think that they, in order to fight for each other, they need to fight with each other <laughs> this season. <laughs> or at least that's that, that's what they do. And, um... But yeah, but then at the same time, I think that, you know, this season ends in a way that's just, I don't know, they, they, they will, they've never been in this position before. 
I feel like I'm speaking in riddles right no, now. No, for them, but... that says a lot, though. <laughs> to me, that speaks volumes about what's okay. going on with okay, them. Okay, good, good. Okay, so fans know from past experience that, I mean, no one's safe on this show, and, and Taylor's no. certainly not afraid to kill off characters in the show. So <laughs> with fans still on edge about the fate of John Dutton, I'll ask it to you this way, because I know you can't say anything, obviously. If John didn't make it, how okay. do you think Monica would react to that? Oh, God. I think that, listen, I, I think she, I think there, she did find a, a respect for John Dutton in the last season, you know, and realizing that they're, they are fighting for the same thing. They're fighting for their family. They have different ways of going about it, <laughs> but no, I think, I think she would feel, she would feel the loss and maybe some relief. <laughs> it's kind of weird how that works both ways, isn't it? <laughs> I know you don't want to say it like that because it's, you know, you obviously don't want anything to happen to anyone, but is it kind of the thing where you, you, you kind of put yourself in her position in that regard, but at the same time, you're like, well, no, I don't want anything to happen to him, but. Of course, yeah, of course. Not easy being married to a Dutton. Obviously, uh, Monica's very strong. We've seen that in the past. Do we actually see from her? Even you were talking about fighting, are we going to see even more strength and more fight from her this season, maybe than we ever have? Yes, yes. And she says that with a very convincing nod, too. <laughs> I feel bad for her because she can't say anything, and I know, and she knows, and you guys can't yet. So <laughs> it seems like things are getting more and more dangerous with each passing season on the That's show, Kelsey. True. And That's there's been a lot of talk. I've seen what fans are saying about you and your character during the hiatus. They've had a lot of time to talk, Kelsey. So how worried should fans be about Monica heading into this season? I know. Honestly, I've been so impressed. Like, the fans pick up on, like, the slightest thing. Like, like, even when I'm on the phone with Casey, like, I didn't even notice this, you know? Like, it's really, really impressive. So maybe they know more honestly, than I do (laughs) of what's going to happen. I mean, Taylor does know how the whole show will end. I think he's really known that from the beginning. And so I think, you know, we're, we'll just all have fun kind of in doing this dance until we get there. And really quickly before I let you go, Kelsey, do you have a favorite episode this season that's just so Monica? I love, is this a spoiler? I love the fight with Casey, actually. That was my, maybe one of my favorites. I don't think you fighting with Casey is really a spoiler just because I feel like that's going to happen at some point anyway. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's going out on a limb. <laughs> Well, you guys will see it all. You guys will see it all start on season four when when Yellowstone returns on Sunday on the Paramount Network. Kelsey, thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate thank it. you so much. Thank you. If you're gonna talk about Yellowstone, love him or hate him, you gotta talk about Jamie as well. So that's why I just had to sit down with Wes Bentley and oh, wait till you hear what he has to say. Wes, how you doing? I'm good, James. How you doing? Very good, man. Very good. So, uh Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. One of the most talked about characters on the show, actually, as far as chatter on social media and online is concerned. Are you aware of just how conflicted fans are about Jamie and how they feel about him? I am aware through other people. I, I have uh, I myself am not on social media, so I, I don't see it. But my brothers make me aware or other people. And, you know, and if I see someone on the street who, who watches the show, they definitely have questions. So, yeah, it's great. The response. The, the interesting question that I see back and forth from fans, and I, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. Do you actually see Jamie as a villain or maybe more and more so now? You know, that's quite, that's a good question. As an actor, one of the rules I learned early on and the one I follow the most is I can't judge my character because then I'm afraid I'll make a caricature. Not sure if that would actually happen, but I really avoid it. It's tricky though. I've done it for years, you know, and I've seen it. And so I have my own judgments as a viewer too. So in a storytelling sense, I guess so. In a human sense, I think he's more complicated than that. Totally. Actually, how do you feel like he's evolved over the years? Because I think that you could almost make the argument that no characters evolved more than Jamie has on the show. That's right. I mean, yeah, there's that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of in everything because truly the moves don't happen without Jamie. They're all legal moves and you need a lawyer, a good one or a politician to help you with that. Mm -hmm. You can't expand without power. And what's real power? It's, you know, often it's money, but besides money, it's it's politicians. So, you know, he is in everything. His fingers are in everything and he knows everything. Absolutely. He does. And obviously there's a lot of tension between Jamie and Beth. We found out why last season, or at least one of the big reasons why. So just how uncomfortable T's for us are things going to be between the two of them this season? 
more uncomfortable, more dangerous. I mean, it's always had an air of danger. It's been physical. I take a beating quite a bit, but this time it feels further. It feels like it's a real battle. We're in a war now and someone might die. Well, that is definitely not good news, depending on who you're a fan of. So, Wes, I mean, Jamie has a very complicated relationship with the rest of the Dutton family. And, of course, with John's fate still up in the air as we head into the season four premiere, how much will we learn about how Jamie feels about John and his circumstances? That's good. That's a good question. I mean, I think I think we learn a bit, but I also think we're, we're more seeing Jamie turn away from them and try not to think about them in ways, I guess. I mean, he's always going to be connected, but I think he's in this moment, he's making a real concerted effort to, to cut it off and try to try, try to turn toward his biological father in hopes that there's something there for him as far as love goes. Do you feel like there's maybe, a, is there still like a one foot in, one foot out aspect for Jamie? On one hand, he kind of wants to distance himself from the family, make his own life, but also there, he maybe, does he feel, feel like maybe he still wants a place for him there? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I think, but now, now that it's not that he's family, I think now he feels like he, he's owed it because he, like you said, his, he is involved in everything. All of that place is still running and operating in his mind because of him. And they're, they're all too old school and they don't know what's going on for real, but Jamie knows what's going on and he's trying to keep them ahead of it. Or at least so there's know. like an entitlement there in a certain sense, you, you say. Absolutely. Great word. Entitlement. He has an entitlement to that. Nice, nice. Very interesting. So there's a lot of fan theories that suggest that Jamie's actually the mastermind behind everything that's happening at the end of season three. Have you seen those theories through your brother, of course? And do you think he's capable of that? I have heard all of that. And yes, I do think he's capable of that because he is hurt, angry, and, and powerful. And I think he is part of him wants revenge for that. A part of him wants them to hurt like he's been hurting and especially hurting now. So yeah, he's got the potential and, and he's powerful. He's got connections. We know that now. He has the ability to make things happen and make things disappear. No doubt about that. Quickly, Wes, are we going to see a little bit more about Jamie's family life of his own? Maybe seeing that story evolve a little bit this season as well. I can't comment on that, but um, you know, I know a lot of people are asking that, but that's uh, you know, that's an interesting storyline, but I, nothing I can comment on. Well, we'll have to wait and see when Yellowstone Season 4 returns on Sunday, November the 7th. Wes Bentley, thank you so much, man, for the time. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the time. It's good to talk to you. And let me just tell you right now, if you're a Yellowstone fan and you think you're ready for the Season 4 premiere, you're not. You're absolutely 100% not ready. So buckle in, saddle up, get ready for Sunday, November the 7th. That's when Yellowstone returns to Paramount Network. Again, thanks to Kelsey Asbill and Wes Bentley for joining me this week to talk about some Yellowstone. Up next, we'll shift our focus to another show that's coming back on Sunday for another new episode, The Walking Dead World Beyond. I'll talk to Anna Kaja up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The final season of The Walking Dead World Beyond is airing right now on AMC. Of course, you can watch it early on AMC Plus if you like. It's every Sunday on AMC. And there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on in these last few episodes. So how about we catch up with, with Indira herself? It's Anna Kaja. Anna, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? So the show's really done a lot for the franchise, I think, as far as, you know, how do you feel like, like especially this season has really opened the world up of the Walking Dead universe in particular and just created so many new possibilities in the overall story? Yeah, I totally agree. And then, you know, bringing in... Pollyanna McIntosh, the Jadis character, has been really interesting. Learning more about the CRM and really going inside that hidden community has been great. And then, of course, introducing Indira's community, the perimeter, the perimeter village and those people and just starting to learn a little bit about them and how they might connect to other aspects of the universe. I think it's been really exciting. And I've, I've been enjoying watching the shows and I found that, you know, momentum is really, it keeps gaining momentum with each episode. And yeah, it's fun. No doubt about that. And speaking of that relationship, we actually learned a lot, a lot, a lot about the relationship between the CRM and the perimeter in this recent episode. So just how difficult is it for Indira for the CRM to kind of have such a hold on her? It's really, really hard, you know? She's, as you can tell, they're independent people, the perimeter people. And they were there before the CRM ever came in. And they were founded on very strict principles, ideals of kindness, generosity, peace, and kind of working through the 
your apocalyptic angst through art, <laughs> which is which is fun. And and so to be so dependent on the CRM is difficult. And then, you know, now that we've learned that Indira is dependent on them for her life, mm-hmm. you know, she needs to have this sort of peritoneal dialysis in order to live and in order to continue to run her community. And she's getting it from the CRM. And so if anything goes wrong, that could be taken away from her. And that's, I think that that's terrifying, not just for her, but for her children, for Asha and Dev. And then for for Will, who cares a lot about Indira and who knows that that Indira has done a lot for him. Yeah. So right now she's in a position of great risk because she's been harboring fugitives and yeah. No doubt about that. So it seems like her deal with the CRM, though, is really kind of slowly starting to become known in the community. We saw a little bit of that recently as well. How do you think the other members of the perimeter would feel if they found out the truth about this arrangement? And can Elton be trusted at this point? Well, I think the other members would, I don't think they'd be very happy about it because I think that this is a community that's very democratic and run on trust. And again, independence and not being under anyone else's thumb. Clearly, there's one character, Brody, who hasn't been happy about risking the perimeter's relationship with the CRM from the beginning. And we'll see how much of a threat he is. And whether or not Elton can be trusted, it's tough. You know, it's a it's a tough world out there. And Elton has to look out for his friends. And it's it's a tough balance. Oh, it is. And that's one of the best parts about the show so far this season as we continue to build on this. We saw this past week that Felix and Iris are a part of a very risky plan to sort of infiltrate the CRM, kind of trying to attack them from the inside out. Just how risky is this plan, not just for the group, but for Indira personally, quite frankly? I think it's incredibly risky. I mean, first of all, she's the one that that pretended to find them and drop them off as if she hadn't been harboring them all along, mm-hmm. right? Right. And and who knows what kind of questioning? I mean, if for Indira, she doesn't know what kind of questioning they're under, if they can be trusted. And then, of course, when that note is received, when they send the note back in the in the CRM vehicle, when the and this is I don't this may be only on AMC Plus, right, for the next episode. But and she says they're going to start a war, right? Mm-hmm. She, she, she's worried. She's worried, you know, and, and from the beginning, you know, she asked Iris, you know, what do you live for? And what she's really, you know, I think asking is, can I trust you? Can you be trusted? And that, that to me is a big question. How far is Iris willing to go? And can she be trusted to, to, you know, stand by to people or does she have a much bigger agenda? Oh, the tangled web that we weave. That's one of the great yeah. things about it really, really is. So do you think that Indira kind of sees a way out for herself in all of this? Or do you feel like her concern is more for the group and her children instead of herself? Um, I think the concern is definitely for the group and her children instead of herself. At least that's what she believes right now. She believes that she's not telling the group about her illness because she doesn't want them to worry. She doesn't want Brody or someone else trying to come and, and step in and take control of the perimeter. And because I think she truly believes, and Matt Negrete and I had conversations about this, you know, I think she truly believes that no one else will be able to run the perimeter correctly and and keep its, its peaceful legacy and take care of the people the way that she's been able to. Whether she's right or wrong, I think she's telling herself that that's what she believes, right? Heart's in the right place sort of thing. Heart's in the right place. Now, is it actually about the fact that she doesn't want to admit her weakness and give up control? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And will she, ha- will she you know, have to reckon with that at some point? I don't know. Um, but so that's what I think is going on with her. And, and I also think that she just, she's a principled person, right? She says things like, that's not what we're about. This is what we do. If people come to us in need, we help them. We take them in. But yes, yes, I'm on one hand, I'm lying, I'm harboring secrets. Yes, on one hand, we're doing the CRM's dirty work, all of that. But at the same time, I just, I can't help but I help these kids. I want to help these kids. I want to do the right thing. I can't turn someone away. 
I think she's genuinely concerned about them. So I think she's in a, a, a place of working from, she's working from her natural place of sort of goodness and generosity. And she's in a little bit of denial. And I think she's also in denial about her illness. There's a lot to be in, in denial about on the show, for, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and for Indira, either, for sure. <laughs> Talking to Anna Kadri, who plays Indira on The Walking Dead World Beyond, which you can watch on AMC and AMC+, Plus, by the way. Now, Anna, the perimeter's been there, like you said, since before, even before the outbreak. But we don't know a whole lot about Indira's past. I know that this is the final season of the show, but, you know, it's The Walking Dead, and you never know. Is right. her past something that you'd really like to see explored at some point? Oh, yeah. And I'd like to see her uh, her past. Um, I, I'd like to, to learn how she and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kublik met. And I'd, I'd also like to see how I'd like to see how they met. And, and you know, some of that may be explored as time goes on. Um, but I'd also like to learn about how Indira became Indira. Mm -hmm. You know, what has she been through? What was she like before the end? And then how did that inform who she was, right? Um, what made her create this, this world? To me, it's very courageous what she did. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we got to see, you brought up Jadis a few minutes ago. Last week, you kind of got to see her, and that really connects World Beyond to the flagship Walking Dead series in a big, big way. And I know that you're a fan of the franchise as well, so how sure. exciting was it for you to learn about that connection? And we could, could we learn even more about that connection in the coming weeks, maybe with a very familiar name that fans recognize? <laughs> you have to ask it, don't you? <laughs> I had to. Everybody else is. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, first of all, it was pretty exciting, and they, they kept it really under wraps. I mean, we didn't know. You know, that's, it's not, like when, we, right it's not like when we started shooting the season. That, that we actors knew uh, that that Jadis was going to show up. You know, we were we were only a few weeks ahead of you guys. And so it was really cool. And then, of course, Pollyanna is such a great human being and such a mm. wonderful actress that it was just a joy to to kind of have her around. It's just it's wonderful. And as far as, you know, uh, things being explained, they, some things will be explained. Some things will be explained. I can't say what those things are or when they'll be explained or how they'll be explained. And as far as that other name, I can't, I can't possibly say. Well, that's why I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> I, I know you know who I'm talking about, but I, I didn't say it. Yeah. I didn't say it. You didn't say it. Nobody's getting in trouble here. We're fine. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. so, and I would, this, this show, just the walking dead in general, they have a reputation for just no character being safe ever. So how true is that for the rest of the season? Oh, that's true. Oh, that's definitely true. And again, we're definitely not true. There are definitely you are right now watching unsafe characters on this show. <laughs> unsafe characters, unsafe territory. <laughs> everything's unsafe. So, yes. Anna, speaking of things you can't talk about before I let you go, uh, once this series ends, <laughs> I I'm hearing things could we pop possibly see you pop up in another popular franchise at some point, maybe. You could actually. Wow. Look at you and your research. You could see me pop up in another popular franchise. And, and I'm thinking that this is a movie, maybe? It, may, it might be. Maybe, possibly. And she's in New York, too, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Take that for what it is. But for that's right now, enjoy her as Indira on The Walking Dead World Beyond, which airs every Sunday on AMC. You can watch it early if you are an AMC Plus subscriber, though. You're definitely going to want to do that as the series comes to a close, because you want to see before anybody else does. It's Anna Kaja. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And if you're an AMC Plus subscriber, you already know what happens on this week's episode. If not, it airs on Sunday night on AMC Network as well, The Walking Dead, World Beyond. And it's kind of a shame this show is actually ending after this season, because I've definitely gotten a little attached to this show, and I can't say that about a lot of The Walking Dead series, but it's definitely... Very, very well done and a great job expanding on the world. Again, thanks to Anna Kaja for joining me this week to talk about The Walking Dead World Beyond. Up next, we'll head to Netflix and talk about Hypnotic with Lucy Guest on the way next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you've probably already seen Hypnotic on Netflix because it's been ranked in the top 10 for quite a bit, actually. And one of the big stars of that movie that you'll remember one of her big scenes from the trailer, actually, it's Lucy Guest. Lucy, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing really, really good. Now, before we get into, we're not really going to talk spoilers or anything, before we get into talking about the movie and talking about Gina and everything, let's talk about how, when you first found out about this project. How did you feel when you first read through this script? What, was you, what were you thinking? I mean, the first thing that stuck out to me was the big spider scene, but I, I thought it read well, like it was a page turner and I really liked the dynamic between Jen and Gina. I thought their friendship was pretty realistic. I, I just like when uh, there's two strong female characters and they're really supportive of each other. They weren't at each other or anything. And it seemed like, like Gina's character really wanted innocently to help her friend Jen out. I mean, she didn't think that things would take the turn that they did. Speaking of which, and, and again, not going to have any spoilers, re- really any spoilers here, but I, I kind of felt like after I was done watching this, if any character was going to face maybe a little bit of backlash, it might be yours. It might be Gina's a little bit have you have you gotten any of that backlash on I mean, gina at all <laughs> nobody i mean nobody ha- that I, none that i know of so far i think her intentions or her motives are redeemable in the end because of what happens to her do you kind of know oh there's she- no doubt about that no 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 yeah. there's no doubt about that uh, so i haven't heard but yeah for a while there you know you do i even was sort of questioning gina <laughs> for a second I also think that Gina might have had a minor crush on Dr. Mead. There might have been a little, you know what? I was going to ask you about that. There might have been a little yeah. bit of that going on. It, but what is it about him, though, that just keeps drawing so many people to him? Because, I mean, I was, again, I'm not going to really spoil anything, but you, this is not like a new thing for him. So what, what is it about him that just makes it so people just keep coming back to him? I think for Gina, she saw this. I mean, he's, first of all, he's easy on the eyes and he helped her. Like the thing is, is that before she met this guy, her life was sort of mediocre and she was kind of going through her day-to-day activities. And then she met this guy and this tall drink of water and he sort of helped her change her life a little bit like she was able to get a promotion she she was able to buy her dream house she's had the most clients she's ever had so something is working and i think when you have that kind of success you want other people to experience that success as well no doubt about that and it's really really interesting like you said the dynamic between jen and gina i really really like that but also the interesting dynamic between jen and brian i'm sorry oh jen and brian so jen and brian so from the outside looking in how does Gina kind of see their relationship? Because it's obvious, you know, how they might feel about each other, but as an outside perspective, like the best friend's perspective, how is she feeling about those two? I think she wants her friend to be happy again. I think she wants her to move on and she's a little disappointed that she, you know, had a little bit of a relapse and, you know, (laughs) and went back to the ex. I mean, I think that's very relatable. I think we've all been there. I mean, I've heard. (laughs) and so I think she but I think Gina wants Jen to sort of get her life back together I think selfishly she's like could you seriously pick up yourself and like be be fun again I mean it's hard sometimes when you have a friend that's like going through the same thing for over a year and you're like okay your your life is is taking a downward spiral. I miss, I miss the old Jen. Let's get this. Or, you know, I miss my old friend. I want her back. I mean, that's sort of a selfish friend thing to do. 
I think you probably should just like, you know, let people take the time that they need, but you know, it's, I think you want to see somebody happy and not sort of moping around all the time. Oh, totally. Especially if it's so like I'm your no best therapist. friend. Too. I'm no hypnotherapist. Well, you know, none of us are really quite yeah. frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucy, one of the things that, that I kind of loved about hypnotic is that it has these moments in the movie where I, I find myself watching it. I'm like, no, don't do that sort of thing. Right. Because yeah. it, do, do you, do you kind of love that about it too? Because like, there's a, and again, this isn't really a spoiler, but it's like, no, don't answer the phone. Come on. No, don't do that yeah. sort of thing. Right. Do you kind of love that about it, too? Did you see those moments as well when you kind of read through it and be like, oh, I know what people are going to say when they see this? I mean, I think that's sort of a classic reaction. And I mean, there's sometimes that's kind of part of the enjoyment of watching something. You're like, oh, I know this is about to, is this going to happen? It's just sort of, I had a friend of mine call me and she, I'm not going to spoil what part she was, but she was saying something's going to happen here, right? Something's going to happen to you. Something's about to happen to you. Don't tell me. And I was like, do you want me to tell you or not? But I think she knew something was about to happen, but I think the buildup for her was exciting. For some people, they really enjoy this sort of um, knowing something's about to happen. And then it's that anticipation to it that is is like a bit of a thrill ride. At the same time, though, I think these mistakes, air quotes, mistakes, were pretty well crafted too. At the yeah. same time, you could you could almost say, you you say that as the reaction of a person who's watched a thousand of these movies, but at the same time, you say, "Oh, that was just set up so well to where you know that mistake could be made." Would you kind of agree with that too? Yeah, I think they did a great job, especially with Gina's scene. <laughs> yeah, that know. one that one really worked out well. Actually, we yeah. can talk a little bit about this scene because it was in the trailer yeah. the, the spider right. that yeah. whole thing now what was it like filming that scene was that an actual spider are you scared of spiders Does, did this kind of completely freak you out as well well it was a real tarantula so that part was surprisingly not as scary as i thought because i did have a meet and greet with harry before he um was part of the scene they have, they do have giant fangs, which you can see. They have cute, like they have a face, <laughs> like fangs. It's so wild when you see it up close. You know, there were a bunch of tinier spiders that moved really quickly and they shed their little, their hairs. That's why the costume designer had me in a, like almost like a turtleneck and full pants. And I was wearing all these underlayers because they can ball up and like hide in your clothing when they are, feel trapped. That's when they can bite you. So I think that's why I had like a coat, like long sleeves, everything. But when I found out how delicate they were as well, the, 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 the spider could die really easily if you drop it and things like that. I was like, oh, poor Harry. And then also I think just seeing how slow he moved and that he looks like a little pet was somehow like not as terrifying. Although, yeah, I mean, these 1% of the population or something like this is it, they're poisonous to them. So you, I don't, you just don't know. I don't know how comfortable I would have been with a bunch of the little spiders on me. They weren't little, they were still the size of like your palm, but, and they were extremely like hairy. I, I just think that that would have been more terrifying than one large one that I could definitely see when it was coming towards me. <laughs> I would have had, I, I'm just saying I would have, I would have had to resist the urge to put on like 12 sweaters and like three yeah. jackets and all this stuff. And I'm not even afraid of spiders, but something like that, that would just freak me out. I mean, especially, you know, you're, you're trying to do a, like a driving scene too. That that's just insane to me. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot going on in that scene. <laughs> so we kind of get deep into the concept of hypnotherapy in this movie too, which I think is really, really interesting. Did you actually know about any of this stuff? Have you ever like been hypnotized or anything like that? How do you feel like the movie kind of digs into this? For me personally, I don't, I don't want to have somebody else going inside my mind. I don't think that that's, I'm not really for, I'm not interested in that. I think that this, I'm like, oh, I'm glad this is kind of like some giant PSA against hypnotherapy. Yeah, I'm not, no doubt about that. Would, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not anxious that, at all. Not, yeah. I'm not saying I would never do it. it. You know, I have heard of some people having huge, for example, people getting over their fear of spiders have tried that kind of thing. Um, so whatever works for somebody, I mean, awesome. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, you're letting somebody else go into your mind. You, I think you'd probably really want to trust that person. And also, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that that's not as appealing to me, I guess. Yeah, I, I not, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm also, you know, 
sometimes you just got to do whatever works. If you're, if you're trying to get over something, you want to try to, you know, all the techniques. And if that works for you, you know, no judgment. No doubt about that. Lucy, before I let you go, I mean, you just take a look at this cast and it's such an amazing cast. You got Jason Omar, you got Kate Siegel, you got Dulé Hill and, and so many others. What was it like working with this incredible cast on this film? That was the highlight. I mean, they're, they are so talented. Kate Siegel is such a dream. I, I would love to work with her again. She's so talented. And I just like her sort of a naturalistic approach to her, her work. You really feel like, you know, these characters that she plays are authentic. And I also feel that she, she's also a wonderful human just being, you know, in a COVID clothes, you know, you know, we're all wearing masks and we're in these like hideaway rooms that you come out and you take off, you know, it's just like with all the COVID protocols to have people that are just so lovely and so um, genuine. She's one of those sort of rare gems. She was wonderful. Um, I, I obviously am a fan. And then Jason O'Mara is just, he's so, he's so fun to work with. He's so talented. Yeah. Dulé Hill. I've, I've known him for years. So when I heard that he was doing this movie, I was pretty excited. It was sort of a blast from the past. And I mean, you can't go wrong with anything that he touches. So I was, I was in good company. So really quickly, do you have anything else really cool coming up that you can actually tell us about? Something really interesting that you're going to be doing next? I'm, I'm writing right now. I just finished a movie where uh, I play a mom who's lost her, whose daughter's gone missing in Yellowstone Park. So it's just sort of a movie about her trying to find her. And it's scary. And then I also, yeah, I'm just back to writing. And um, I just finished writing another sort of short film that I hope be able to make and put in the festival circuit like it's sort of a follow-up to my last one called never better um and this one is called uh, been better actually <laughs> so we'll see how it goes that sounds like a great name for a sequel if <laughs> that, that, that was the name of the original yeah and, but for now you change. can we'll, we'll keep our eye out for that stuff but for now you can actually watch watch lucy guest on hypnotic which is now streaming on Netflix and you can just kind of feel the terror flowing through her veins in that very specific scene in yeah. the trailer. Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I will definitely agree with Lucy in that after I watched hypnotic, I wasn't in a hurry to try hypnotherapy anytime soon or anything like that. There's just so much creepiness about this. And again, I want to, I said this in my review last week and I'll say it again. Jason Omar was, was incredible. No doubt about that. And that scene with the spider still creeps me out to this day. So make sure you're watching Hypnotic, now streaming on Netflix. Again, thanks to Lucy Guest for joining me this week to talk about Hypnotic. Up next, how about we start the reviews going? And season two of Stargirl has come to an end. I'll give you my spoiler-filled review of that finale next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Angelica Washington from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Can Blue Valley be saved from the darkness? It is my spoiler-filled review of the season two finale of Stargirl. And I gotta say, just in general, this is the darkest season of Stargirl I think we're gonna see. Period. I mean, the show is very fun and very lighthearted in its first season. We didn't have a whole lot of that in this season because... This was all about Eclipso trying to bring this team down and these just wonderful characters down one by one and almost succeeding, by the way. The thing that was teased in the penultimate episode of the show of basically, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, Dark Stargirl, right? Eclipso infecting Courtney and getting her to, you know, kind of be his host sort of thing. And, I mean, skipping ahead... A lot in the story we get to see that and that was that was rough man I'm not gonna lie when Eclipso took over Courtney that was really really rough although I will say one entertaining part I got out of this it probably shouldn't have been entertaining but it really was was when Eclipso was having everybody basically fight themselves like you had the Yolanda fighting the other wildcat and then you had the Pat Dugan versus Pat Dugan battle. All I could think of was Jim Carrey and Liar Liar when he says, I'm kicking my ass. Do you mind? You remember that scene in that movie? Anyway, the, there was a lot of great, great action in this 
season two finale. A lot of great fight scenes. That final fight with Eclipso with just everybody in the pool basically just trying everything they could to take him down. And Sylvester showing up to kind of pull Courtney out of her darkness was really, really neat and kind of affirming that the staff chose her for a reason. I thought that was a big moment in the episode. I mean, everything that led up to this finale really, really paid off in this finale. You got to, you got to bring Jenny into the fight as well. What her future is going to be, I don't know. I love that Cindy Berman actually didn't stab them in the back in this episode because she kind of... I was with Yolanda on this and that, you know, it was kind of maybe crazy to be teaming up with her in the first place. And then you've got this whole, I, you know, I don't know if we can trust her type vibe, which I could totally understand why anyone would say that about Cindy Berman. But then she, I, I, I don't want to say that she's truly redeemed herself because I don't think that we're there yet. But at the same time, it certainly seems like we're taking steps in that direction, of course, you see at the end of the episode, she wants to join the JSA. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that should happen. But all I know is that would certainly make the team dynamic really, really interesting. Although I think, call me crazy, but I could see something happening between her and Rick. I could actually see them getting together and being a couple. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm not going to like ship it or anything. Right? That's what I'm supposed to say, ship it. I'm not going to go that far, but at the same time, I could certainly see it happening. What I do find interesting, and I really, really want to focus on the epilogue of this, because I think we kind of knew that the battle with Eclipso would eventually go the way of the JSA, and that everybody, everything would be right with the world, and the team would be back together, and all of these different things. So I think that we kind of knew that that's where things were going. So I want to focus on the latter part of things. I love that Beth kind of gets her happy ending with her family, although now they've kind of and instead they went from one extreme to the other, her parents. And I think that that was really, really funny in a certain way. We've got Yolanda back full time. I mentioned Cindy wanting to join the JSA and the shade sticking around is interesting because I'm still not quite sure how to feel about the shade, especially since the, since the shade seems to be taking a liking to Barbara. And I don't think Pat has noticed it yet. Obviously, Pat doesn't like the shade. I totally, you could totally understand that. So that'll just be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. The fact that Dr. McNider has a 10 year old son is really, really interesting. And, and hopefully we get to see something about him uniting with his family. I think the dynamic between Jakeem and Mike is really, really interesting, especially bringing, bringing Thunderbolt into the mix. And them forming their own team, I also think, could be really, really interesting. You know, obviously they'd be assisting the JSA, you would think. Although, here's the deal. Seeing kind of all these villains now want to be all buddy-buddy and friendly with the JSA is kind of weird. We now know that the next season is the subtitle of next season is going to be Frenemies, which will be... I, awkward and fun, and I'm, I think that's just it. We're going to bring the fun back a little bit more in this show next season, which I really, really like. But the big one for me was confirmation that we're getting Mr. Bones next season on Stargirl. When you saw Helix, you kind of thought, okay, I, I'm sitting there holding my hands together and saying, please, please, please let this mean that Mr. Bones is coming to the show. I mean, it wasn't confirmation for me. I needed to see it for myself. And then once I did, oh, and by the way, Keith David as Mr. Bones, yes, please. I will take that all day. So I can't wait to see how that's going to work next year. We do know that we're going to be getting this in 2022. Also, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about is I don't know that Sylvester is actually Sylvester. You know what I mean? Like, like it seems like it is, and I want to trust that it's Sylvester, but the the whole, you know, them kind of glossing over him being back here in the season two finale, and you heard Pat say, well, he said, I'll just explain it later. After everything they've been through, I don't know that that would be good enough for me. And they say he's setting up the basement. He's going to train Courtney. 
Okay, so maybe it seems like it's the real Sylvester, and it probably is, but something's giving me pause here. And we know that Joel McHale is going to be a series regular coming up for season three, so that dynamic should be very, very interesting to say the least because, you know, Pat's been the mentor up to this point. Let's face it, Sylvester hasn't treated Pat so well, and he's kind of, you know, made him feel like the sidekick, and Pat's had to take this, take on more of a role. Here, and this is his daughter, or daughter, daughter-in-law, at least, by the way. So, I think there's going to be some friction there between Pat and Sylvester, and I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to go. So, I was kind of complaining about how dark the season was, and it was, but at the same time, I loved this show. I thought it was a great season. There certainly were some fun moments. I thought Eclipso was a legit villain who seemed like he was going to be unstoppable for this team. And I think that's that's exactly the kind of thing that this show needed as a follow-up. Not to mention the the look of Eclipso was was amazing and horrifying. And that's props to the to the effects team and the the makeup team and everybody in the costume team that put together this thing for DC Stargirl this season and how things are going to move on into season three. I think it's going to be really, really fun. So another great job by everyone involved on DC Stargirl. Knocking it out of the park. Cannot wait for Season 3. That'll do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Season 2 finale of Stargirl. I'm looking ahead to Season 3 a little bit. Up next, time to get inside the mind of the new Apple TV Plus series, Dr. Brain. I'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Greg Pak, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could this be the next Korean import phenom? Apple TV Plus just premiered the first episode of Dr. Brain, and I wanted to go ahead and give you my spoiler-free review of the first episode since it's only been out for a day, and maybe you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. So I'll give you the synopsis of this thing, or at least the logline from Apple TV+. Plus. Brilliant brain scientist Sewon, who's played by Lee Sun-kyun, who you might remember from Parasite, he suffers a horrific personal tragedy. I'll get to that in a second. Desperate to uncover what happened to his family, he conducts brain sinks with the dead to access their memories for clues. Now, to say that Sewon went through a horrific personal tragedy is an understatement. It starts from when he's a kid. It goes on into him as to, to him as an adult, where he suffers yet another tragedy. Or does he? Dun dun dun. That's one of the things about this show. It is science fiction, like peak science fiction, but it's also got plenty of mystery. There's also a lot of drama that happens to this as well. And there's something about Sewan, and I won't say what it is. There's something about him that makes this, that gives this story a very intriguing and interesting angle. And you also have to consider when he was a kid, what the time period was, where he was, and what society was like at that particular time, and what sort of advancements there were in that particular time for what is happening with Sewan. It really really matters and his and it really everything and this is the the show's very consciously aware of this what his motivations are for him doing what he's doing is obvious to us the viewer and there's someone that kind of acts as the viewer asking the questions that we want asked and that doesn't necessarily happen all the time in a show it's not breaking the fourth wall it's almost like when you're putting a show like this together, you say, okay, well, people are going to wonder about this. So let's just bring it up and be done with it. That's what this series does. And I think that that's really, really interesting. And then when you see certain things that happen with Sewan and people around him, what happens in the first and in the initial parts of this episode makes things that happen later in the episode have a lot more impact. And this is all within one episode. So this show's not dragging things out. Certainly dragging some things out. If you if you have a mystery, you're not going to solve it right in the beginning, right? And this is not certainly not a show that gives away its mystery to us, the viewer, and then leaves it to the cast to find out later on. No, no, no. We don't know what's going on with this mystery 
either. What's interesting, though, to me is that what's going to be the push and pull between do you feel sorry for Saban or not? Do you sympathize with him or not? Do you think he's an asshole or not? That's part part of it is that this I, I don't want to key in on just this one character because there's certainly other characters that I could talk about when in this show. But at the same time, you, you key in on him because, quite frankly, it all goes through him. Everything goes through him. There are a lot of other really, really good performances, though. I will point out with Yu Young Lee as well, who does a fantastic job as Jaye in this in this show, and she's very much a part of this mystery as well. And the people that work with Sewan also play a big role. And just how you interact with, and maybe for a lack of a better term, deal with him and who he is and what he wants to do and who talks him down from some of the things that he wants to do that maybe he shouldn't do or who makes him feel like he can push himself and cross that line sort of thing. There's a lot of working parts in this show that really, really matters. So make sure, other than the subtitles, of course, you're going to need the subtitles for this thing because it is in Korean. Make sure you're paying really good attention to the character interactions and these details because, quite frankly, Dr. Brain is one of those ones where you could miss this show and and you would be sorry that you did sort of thing. It's one of those shows that I don't want to say it's going to fly under the radar because I'm trying to, me telling you about it is one of the ways of me trying to tell you that doesn't happen. But I was pleasantly surprised by this series. It was one of those things that I didn't know about it till it popped into my email inbox and I was asked to check it out. I, I, and I did. And I thought the show did a great job of making both the mystery and the science compelling at the same time. That's not something that you could say for a lot of shows in this same position. Sometimes it's one or the other. Sometimes it's neither. This show does both, and there's a great balance to that. Soon Kyun Lee is just incredible as Saewon in so many different ways, and I can't tell you that one of those ways because it is a spoiler, and I'm not going to do that to you. But just there's so many layers to this character that he has to execute and does so 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 well this show will get you thinking it'll get you talking and this is one of those things that makes me think that it could be you know the next big phenomenon right this could be one that really really gets talked about a lot dr brain don't forget the name because once you see it, you'll understand why you're going to be telling people that they need to watch this show that'll do it for my spoiler free review of dr brain which is now streaming on apple tv plus up next how about we tackle some of the biggest nerd news of the week. It wasn't a ton, but we'll get to the big stuff. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Mary Mauser from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. From Bounty Hunter to King, it's time for nerd news. And I gotta be honest, the book of Boba Fett's first trailer did not blow me away. And I think that that's okay. And here's why. So... Let's talk about the trailer just for a second here. We we know that it's going to be coming out at Disney Plus on December the 29th. We know that it is the spinoff, for lack of a better way of putting it, of The the Mandalorian, which is also a spinoff of Star Wars and all these other types of things. Okay, so that's where we're at. And then you see Boba Fett returning to Tatooine to potentially take the throne of job of the hut now the one thing that matters in this trailer and and this is a show you're probably already going to watch this anyway if you're a star wars fan i'm not sure that you need a trailer that's going to hook a whole bunch of potential new fans and you're going to have them watch the show i think you were either going to watch the show or you weren't regardless of whether or not they released a trailer or not that that was my argument for spider-man no way home you're not going to convince somebody to go watch Spider-Man No Way Home if they don't want to just based on seeing a trailer. You were getting more buzz from not releasing trailers at all than you were by releasing trailers. So, But that, that's another argument for another day. But you do get to see how calculating Boba Fett is. And what his plan is to try and take 
Jabba's throne and how he's going to defend himself. There, there's some other things too, but yeah, the trailer didn't wow me, but it didn't need to. Something like Eternals, which is also out this weekend from Netflix, but I mean, excuse me, from Marvel Studios, by the way, that has to wow me because I don't know a ton about Marvel's Eternals. And I'm sure that the average non-hardcore Marvel Comics fan does not either. That's the kind of trailer that needs to wow you because you're going to need convincing. I don't need convincing to watch Book of Boba Fett. I already wanted to watch it, and so did millions of other fans who've been clamoring for anything Boba Fett on the screen forever now. So you're finally getting it. Is that going to be the expectations being too high, or is there going to be other factors there? You have to wait and see on December the 29th. This is the first trailer for Morbius in two years. The movie now going to be coming out on January 28th of 2022 from Columbia Pictures. And this time we get a lot more Vampire Morbius than Dr. Morbius. And there was nothing wrong with Dr. Morbius in that first trailer. There is something wrong with waiting two years to show a second trailer, even with delays. A lot of other movies found ways to, I don't know, do what they were supposed to do, like promote themselves, even though there was no actual release date. So instead they decided to wait two years. But you, you and yes, there are Easter eggs in this trailer and things like that. But, you know, what do you really want to focus on? In doing this, what is the end game for releasing a trailer right now, other than the fact to update your release date and say it's going to be only in theaters? I think that they wanted to point out that, oh, by the way, yeah, there's connections to the Spider-Man movies here because you see Michael Keaton really quickly. You see a couple of other things, you know, Oscorp, I think, was on there. You see that really quickly. So this occurs after no Way Home, just so you know. Because remember, No Way Home is actually in theaters a few weeks earlier than this one. So, again, not a trailer that really, really wowed me or blew me away. But there's definitely some interesting stuff in there. And you get to kind of see, you know, why he becomes what he becomes, what his motivations are. Can he control these motivations? And going full anti-hero, because I think I'm going to paraphrase this line from the trailer where someone says, are you here to save the world or are you here, are you here to destroy it? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's the, that's the question to ask, isn't it? Because the, you, it's not really clear when we see Morbius what his intentions are. So we'll have to wait and see how that look is going to get itself together. We're also, I also cannot wait for the cast to come down here. And is there going to be an epic, epic superhero battle? There's certainly a chance, and I'll take a chance. Speaking of superheroes, Chris Pratt has another project that has fans seemingly angry. Yeah, when he got cast as Mario in the Super Mario Brothers movie, he made some comments that led fans to not be as thrilled about his selection as playing Mario, even the voice of Mario. Now, to this week, and now he's going to be the voice of Garfield in a new reboot of that popular franchise. And I have to say, and I'm not normally this person, okay? And you should know that if you've listened to the show regularly or even semi-regularly. I don't hear it when I, when I close my eyes and really try and hear what Chris Pratt would sound like as Garfield, that voice coming out. I have no idea. Not the first clue how that sounds like Garfield. I'm a big Garfield fan, so maybe I'm going to be a little bit more upset about this and a little bit more nitpicky about this than I would be otherwise. But don't get me wrong. I'm glad that we're going to give this whole Garfield thing another shot. I'm glad that Garfield is returning. I just hope it's done properly this time. But the addition of Chris Pratt, yes, that gives you star power. But again, is star power enough? Although, you know, there was a lot of love for Chris Pratt. At one point when he was, you know, dancing around with a Walkman in one movie and, you know, he was fresh off of Parks and Rec and he lost all that weight and, and, he, and he became swole, as the kids used to say. And he, he all of a sudden had, you know, these super muscles or whatever. 
and and you loved him and now you hate him because he's Mario and Garfield. So you got to have to make up your mind about Chris Pratt because we got another Guardians movie coming out too. And I, do, do, you, do you love him or do you hate him? I think it's sort of a little bit of a back and forth thing, which sort of drives me nuts. But at the same time, I love it because it gives us an opportunity to be able to talk about stuff like this. And yeah, obviously, I'm going to wait for that first trailer before I make my snap judgment. But again, as I close my eyes, I'm not hearing it. I don't know how this would work, but I've been wrong before. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my wonderful guests for joining me this week across so many amazing series and movies. If you want to keep up with what we've got going on, and sometimes it's a lot, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, a really good place on our social media pages at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. You can also listen to our podcast on Facebook now as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Anna Sheridan. New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.